Hello, Heritage. Want to welcome all of you. A shout out to our crew at Bettendorf, those joining us online, and everyone here at Rock Island to week three of our Simplify series, a journey where we've been looking at our white hot why. Our white hot why, the reason we exist, the purpose we're created for, the, the thing that we'd spend our life for. And the reality is that life can be overly complicated and filled to overflowing very quickly if we don't understand our why. We don't understand our why, because our why informs our how, and then that informs our what. And there's a very specific sequence for how we should engage, because our why then shapes our how, which then shapes our what. And if we don't understand our why, then the, the what's out here get really fuzzy. This takes us back to something we've looked at before as a congregation, that our being leads to our doing, that who we are determines what we do, not the other way around. And we don't understand our why, that we can get caught up in all the different what's of this world and life can get overcomplicated pretty quickly. So we started a couple of weeks ago with looking at our white hot why, understanding that we need to embrace our why to know our what. And we started even last week looking at our calendar and our time. And this week, we're going to take an opportunity to look at our relationships. Because no matter who you are, you are created for intimacy with God. And you are created for healthy relationships with others. Doesn't matter who you are. You are created for intimacy with God and healthy relationships with others. And that then informs the how and the what of our lives. And it takes us back to a fundamental principle that we've talked about before. And if you're following along your note guide, this becomes your first fill-in for the day. That we are not made to do life alone. We're not made to do life alone. We're not made to do life what? Alone. Now, that is simultaneously wonderful and problematic. Because relationships are hard. It doesn't matter if you're talking about dating or marriage or co-workers in the workplace or, or family. Family in and of itself can be particularly challenging because it has its own level of weirdness and craziness, right? They say that in every family there's at least one crazy person that makes relationships harder. Do you know who that is in your family? If not, it might mean it's you. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, it, it's, navigating relationships can be difficult. We can do things that, that build up relationship. We can do things that challenge relationship. People do things to us. We do things to other people. We make mistakes. And I've got to tell you, I don't have a single long-standing relationship in my life that is not marked by grace and forgiveness. Not one. Here's one small example. A few months ago, I shared with you how I inadvertently walked into the ladies' restroom in one of the local eating establishments here in the Quad Cities. Yes, and I realized as soon as I did it, I realized what I had done wrong. But before I could exit out of that space, the woman at the sink said, Hello, Pastor. 
a bad situation gone even worse. Now, I got out of there quickly, not even finding out who that person was. But I wanted to update you on that story because we're one church in multiple locations. And every time I can make my rounds to the different locations on a weekend, I love to do that. And so a number of weeks ago, while making my rounds to different campuses, I met for the second time my friend Maritza. Now, Maritza is a very wonderful woman, and she is very gracious, and we had a good laugh as we met for the second time in the hallway. But here's, what I'm, here's why I share this with you, because here's the deal. Because of her grace and forgiveness towards me, we can be friends. And I don't have a single long-standing relationship that isn't marked by grace and forgiveness. And I bet you don't either. Relationships can be hard. It can become very complex very quickly. Just imagine with me, if you would, just imagine a complex relationship dynamic. Just, just pick one. Imagine it in your mind. Some of you are thinking, Sean, I don't need to imagine it. I'm dealing with plenty of them every day. That's fine. Just, just pick one. You have a complex relationship situation in your mind? Okay, rhetorical question. What makes it complex? What makes it complex? And what's the Christ-like response to uncomplicate and navigate through it? I'm sure the answer seems layered. If it isn't layered, it's probably not all that complex of a situation. But regardless of what that relationship dynamic is, regardless of all the nuances in it, I believe that at the core, to simplify that relationship involves an issue of priorities. It involves what we're pursuing, and what we're prioritizing in that complexity. See, we could spend months talking about relationship dynamics and barely scratch the surface of all the nooks and crannies of what that can look like. But today what I want to do is I just want to get to a starting point for where we navigate through the why and the how and the what of simplifying our relationships. See, simplifying relationships isn't, isn't just having less relationships. It's not even just about removing drama. The key to simplifying relationships is an issue of priority. Having the right priority so that God can bring his purpose in the midst of the complexity. And if we don't understand the why, then the what's get really fuzzy. So I want to today look at the example of one person in scripture and how they navigated the complexity of their relationships through the why and the how and the what as they simplified the relationships. But first, I want to take a look at what God says about the value of relationships. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. It comes after Psalms and Proverbs. It's going to be in your note guide. It's also up on the screen here. And we're just going to start in Ecclesiastes. And this is a book filled with tons of wisdom. But we're going to see here a value placed upon relationship. And this is what God has said within his word in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the fool who has no one to help him up. Oh, wait, hang on a second. I'm sorry, that was the Mr. T version. <laughs> I apologize. Let me go back. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, now, very clearly in just these few verses, it is once again affirmed that we are not made to do life alone. 
We're not made to do life alone. In fact, no one succeeds alone. We can see even here in just these few verses that there's assistance and there's support. There's strength and encouragement. There's help. We're not made, ultimately, to do life alone. Now, I think we tend to think that we can, that, we're, that we can get by without it because it seems more simple. We think we don't need it. We can actually become people, the kind of people who think we're like we skin our own skunks kind of people, and we don't need the complexity of relationships. But whether we like it or not, we are more together than we are apart. And if Jesus is your Lord, then you will do life in authentic God-honoring relationships. That's your next feeling if you're tracking that followers of Jesus do life in authentic God-honoring relationships. They will. It's not only if they need to. It's not only when they have to. It's that they actually will. They will engage in that kind of relationship. Now, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that one of the hardest things to do is to establish and develop and maintain God-honoring relationships. It's just hard. We have to work to establish them, and then we have to fight to maintain them. But we're not made to do life alone. And I want to be really clear as we talk about simplifying relationships, that this is not simply about having less relationships. It can be. You may, you may be in a scenario where you need to have less relationships, it's not even just about having less drama, although that would be helpful. What we're really talking about is having a more clear focus and intentionality and even having healthy boundaries where we have guidelines in the midst of that. Simplifying relationships is about priority in the midst of the complexity. You know, one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament was a man by the name of David. Uh, the scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. And there's tons of information written about David in the Bible. But here's again, the deal is that no one succeeds alone. So not even a great leader like David did. He needed friendship. He would become the second king over a united Israel. But before that would happen, he and his best friend would navigate significant complexity in their relationships. You may know that, that David's life was not marked by victory upon victory and joy upon joy. He just didn't go around slaying giant after giant after giant. There are many things in David's life that would cause anyone to struggle, to wonder, to even want to quit. But it was David's intimacy with God and his relationship with his best friend that made the difference. Now, one of the ongoing challenges in David's life centered around a man by the name of Saul. It was his interaction with Saul, and Saul was the king at the time. And Saul was that one family member I was talking about earlier, the one crazy one. In fact, David, in a period of time, he had, at one point, he was moving from cave to cave, hiding from Saul, who was, who was just threatening to kill him. And David went to his friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan was actually the son of Saul. And he went to Jonathan for strength and encouragement. And at risk to himself, Jonathan warned David, told David when he needed to avoid trouble and when to run and hide. And, and he even spoke well of David to his father, and hoping to reconcile and, and bring the relationship back together. And it worked for a while, but over a period of time, Saul got fired up again. And, and once again, Jonathan had to risk his life for his friend. And, and so David had complexity in his life, but Jonathan had even more. And I want to take a closer look at this. And so again, if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is kind of where we pick it up. And again, it's in your guide. It's also going to be on the screen here. So this is kind of where their relationship begins to just be uniquely established. 
After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, there is deep meaning behind those items and the fact that Jonathan gave those to David. He wasn't just sharing his belongings to be kind and polite. There was a deeper symbolism to it that really speaks to the incredible nature of the relationship, that they had a high commitment to God and to each other. In fact, they were so committed that nothing would come between them, not career and not family. They they would draw close in testing, and they would be faithful friends to the end. And Jonathan was a loyal friend. But here's the kicker. Jonathan was the heir apparent. He was the prince. He was son of the king. Yet he was helping David succeed. Talk about complexity. I mean, Jonathan's scenario was incredibly complex. Think about it. His dad was king. His best friend was to succeed his father as king, which meant his best friend was in reality usurping Jonathan's role as the rightful successor. His dad had issues. He was kind of crazy. He would throw spears at people trying to kill them. And in the midst of all that complexity, Jonathan needed to simplify his relationships. He needed to simplify his relationships through priority. Now, if we were to jump over and dig into uh, more of what made Jonathan a good friend, if we were to jump into chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, we see that he was available to David. He made himself vulnerable. He, he put himself in a place to be dependable and responsible. But in the midst of all of that, he won David's loyalty. But we actually see in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel the strength and power of this friendship because in the middle of the pursuit of Saul trying to kill David, this is what Jonathan does in 1 Samuel 23. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. This is finding authentic God-honoring relationship. It's loyalty, it's honesty, it's pursuit It's accountability. And Jonathan and David had it. Jonathan was there for David when David didn't have anything left to give. It was an awful time for him. He was about ready to just give up on everything. And God used Jonathan. And this right here, this verse 16 of 23, chapter 23, is is the last recorded interaction between Jonathan and David. Jonathan and his brothers would go off to be killed by the Philistines at Mount Gilboa in chapter 31. But here's what I want you to understand about the nature of this relationship, even amidst the complexity, that it was Jonathan's ability to simplify his complex relationships that changed everything. He was selfless in his love. His respect for his friend David changed everything. It enabled him to accept a subordinate role to David without resentment or jealousy. And he knew God had chosen David and not him, and he remained a faithful companion to the very end. So the deal is that Jonathan simplified the complexity with priority. He chose to please God, not just himself, or to please people. It was through priority. Now, I wonder if you have someone who does this in your life, who strengthens you in your faith and in your walk with God. 
Or maybe you are that someone for somebody else. Because followers of Jesus find authentic, God-honoring relationships. Do you have that? Let's do this. You can use your note guide to write this down, or you can just do it in your head. Bentendorf, get in on this too. If you were to make a list of who you would call when you would need help, who would that be? If you just write down the names, like who would you call when you need help? In the middle of the night, when you need a ride, when you need bailed out of jail. Some of you are thinking if they were a true friend, they'd be in jail with me. Maybe. But who would you call? Who would you call? Who would make that list? Then, then who would you write down on a list of people who tell you the truth? Who are honest with you? Who hold you accountable? Who you can trust? Who love you? Who encourage you but correct you? Who would make that list? You know, often we either end up with a list of multiple people. We say, well, in this circumstance, I'd call that person. In this person, circumstance, I'd call that person. And then this person. And so we have multiple people for different scenarios. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we can have just a very small list with repeating names. Just a very few people that we trust deeply. But the reality is that everyone needs loyal friends who can help them press through the tough times. Jonathan and David had that. And you and I, we need that. We, we need to have it, and then we need to fight to maintain it. But then we need to work to keep out the stuff that would disrupt it. Dishonesty, duplicity, gossip, things that have no place in a, in a relationship of that kind of intimacy. And, and Jonathan and David had that kind of relationship, but it took work to get there, and it took proximity. Because if we're going to have the authentic God-honoring relationships that, that we're supposed to have, it's going to take a connection, and that connection only comes with proximity. The connection comes with proximity. We can do things in relationship to people, but it really involves an issue of how close we are in connection to them. We can, the awareness and insight to really love people well rarely comes at a distance. To, to know what, what interests them, what concerns them, to really empathize fully, it, it requires proximity. That's true in every relationship. We can see people from afar. We can see dropped shoulders and we can see head down from afar, but it is up close that we see the face. It's up close that we see the tears. It's up close that we hear the sigh in their voice. And we can think we know people and have meaningful relationship from afar, but it's truly really up close that we actually do. Relational discernment doesn't come at a distance. It's true in relationship with God. God wants intimacy with us. We talked a little bit, a bit about that last week. He wants that close proximity and have the intimacy so that we can know him. It's not only with God, it's with other people as well. And that connection comes with proximity. And everyone needs a loyal friend who can help them navigate life, enable us to endure, to fight for it, and draw close to God. As a church family, we talk in terms of living linked when it comes to this concept. We have three core values for us as a church. We seek to live loved and live linked and to live sent. And this living linked reality is key to having those authentic God-honoring relationships. And on your way in today, you probably came across one of these brochures. I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab that and thumb through it and take a look at it. This is not just designed to be a neat list of programmed activities. This is designed to be steps that lead you to a life properly positioned before God as you live linked that lead to joy and purpose and significance. These are not attractions to, to please you. These are things to refine you, to position you, to experience all that God has for you. 
It's not easy to create space and time to engage in meaningful relationship with people, but it is essential. It's the stuff that makes a difference, and we need to live linked. But I just don't want you to hear it from me. I want you to hear it from one of our own. So sit back and take a moment to check this out. My name's Jake. I'm 26 years old. I come from a broken home. When I was nine years old, my parents separated and later divorced. In grade school and in junior high, I was teased and bullied, so I didn't really have close friends. I got along with other classmates, but I was more of a loner, keeping people at a distance. I guess you could say I was afraid of getting more hurt, rejected and abandoned. So forming deep, meaningful relationships has always been difficult for me. Hard circumstances the last year, combination of demanding job and caregiving for a parent has made me realize that I need to plug back into church more and connect with people. I was challenged to find a journey group. So I connected with a pastor here on staff who pointed me to the nicest, Matt and Terry in Moline. Connecting with them has been so rewarding. We, it's a group of about 10 people and we all have different backgrounds, um, but yet we serve the same God. And so there's just such a neat uh, community, if you will, developing. I've uh, been with the group now a few months, just love connecting with them. Uh, just, it's, it's so nice to have new friends uh, to do life with. It's been said a true friend accepts you for who you are, but also helps you become who you should be. And that's definitely how I feel about my group. They're definitely, um, I mean, I'm there to support them. They're there to support me. And we're, we're growing in God, going deeper and deeper. And it's, it's just been amazing. A true friend accepts you for who you are, but also helps you become who you should be. That's good truth. And that's exactly what Jonathan did for David. So the need to live linked is not something that we just do if we want to. It's actually the way we're wired, and we experience life fully when we live in authentic community with God's people. And even those not yet in relationship with him. But our culture tends to push against that, to run counter to it. We, we can seem to be consistently like having eating alone is becoming more and more popular in individual meals. We hide in headphones. We may have friends at the work or gym or at a club, but few people do life together in homes. And therefore, we lack something very important. We lack what Will Miller and Glenn Sparks call refrigerator rights in a book by the same title. They talk about how someone with refrigerator rights is so trusted they can walk into your home, open your refrigerator, and help themselves to a sandwich or a drink, and they don't even have to ask. I mean, they probably still do, but they don't have to. And they say that few people have this intimacy in each other's lives. And if you're like most people, very few, if any, people have refrigerator rights in your life. And that's not the way you were made. See, most people are too busy to really get to know each other with refrigerator rights. 
or we just keep a distance from people because we think it's safer, it's less complicated, we're less vulnerable. But listen, God has created you for intimacy with him and healthy relationships with others, and you need to push past that. Those refrigerator access rights should be evident in other areas of life, asking hard questions, giving pushback. We need to develop relationship with people that have refrigerator rights. That's hard. It takes work to get to intimacy, but it's worth it, and it's expected. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in a letter to the church in Philippi. He said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, any smidge of those things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul very clearly articulates that this journey ultimately is not about us. We are to be like Jesus, selfless and humble, and our motives matter. We, we can have people around us, but if our motives are wrong, the situation's tainted. Saul kept David around out of selfish motives for his gain, his interests, and it became a platform for greater dysfunction. Jonathan did the opposite. He considered others better than himself. And I believe that much of the complexity in our challenging relationships can be traced back to motive, connected back to motive. And Paul reminds us that our motive should be that of Jesus. Because our relationships, these things are developed in moments. We develop relationships and we do things, engage in moments and have experiences. They're developed in moments, but they are defined by motives. Your relationships are defined by motives. We do things, but motives determine what is and can be in those relationships. Motive can actually define more in relationships than actions. That takes us back to the why leading to the how leading to the what in our white hot why. Actions matter, but wrong motives can change it all. And relationships are developed in moments, but defined by motives. And in our relationships with one another, we should have the same mindset of Jesus. Look, those refrigerator rights are a starting point. David and Jonathan had refrigerator rights. They didn't have refrigerators, but they had refrigerator rights. <laughs> they had access to each other's lives that way, that kind of access. And I wonder who you have a Jonathan-type relationship with. I actually wonder who has refrigerator rights in your life. Who have you given that access to? The Bible is filled with admonishments and instructions. We're called to love one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, be kind to one another. But I, I think all too often, we're more in a process of tolerating one another or ignoring one another. We're in a culture that's increasingly independent, financially, professionally, relationally. And we often hold those who need no one else on a pedestal. But we're made to be interdependent. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He said, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. We are made to be interdependent. 
But many people fail to realize that to be independent is actually to be blatantly non-Christian, unchristlike. Craig Groeschel says this, he's a pastor. He says, many people pursue a goal that is opposed to God's plan. God designed you to be interdependent. He wants you depending on him and on his people. Followers of Jesus do life in authentic God-honoring relationships. Let's move this to a so what practical application. Since motive is central to relationship, then Philippians 2 comes back into play very prominently. And so we go back to Jesus. We go back to that our relationships with one another, we should have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And you say, that's great, but what does that mean? Well, all we need to do is simply keep reading on into verse 6 in Philippians 2. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't do that for his own advantage. He was selfless. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself in another translation by taking the very nature of a servant, the posture of serving, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There are five distinct things within that passage that Jesus models for us as our example, where we become humble and selfless and sacrificial. We empty ourselves and we serve fully obedient to God. That is our example. And it starts with three things that I believe we can each do this week. And they are to first be present, second, be patient, and third, be prayerful. Let me just run through those real quickly. Be present. Jesus came. He didn't stay at a distance. He didn't remain afar. Even Jonathan went to David in his time of need. He didn't stay removed. And true friendship requires more than occasional access. But to be present, to pursue authentic God-honoring relationships means we pray for that person. We invite them to have coffee. We invite them for dinner. We're not just talking about hanging out, though. We're not just talking about spending time. We're talking about moving towards God, strengthening relationship. And in order to do that, we have to intentionally seek to give more than we take in every relationship. If we don't do that, then we inadvertently take more than we give. And Jesus modeled for us that giving reality where we seek to empty ourselves, where he gave all he had. He didn't remain at a distance. He came to be present. Jonathan didn't remain aloof either. He was present. And being present shows value. So I encourage you to be present in the relationships, even the complex ones, because that leads to the opportunity for us to then be patient in the midst of them. Now, sometimes simplifying relationships is is more about removing the complexity than it is about removing the relationship as a whole. Be patient. If you've got a Saul in your life, be patient. You got a David who's high need, be patient. Jonathan had to be patient and simplify his relationships at his own expense. And that's not easy, but it's always necessary if we're going to honor God and reflect Christ in how we live. But there's a uniqueness to how we are patient a friend of mine says that we should be patient with immaturity, not with depravity. I think he's right. We can be patient with that immaturity, with the, the mistakes. <laughs> Maritza was patient with me when I entered in the wrong place. But when it comes to the issue of depravity, it's a different story. 
And not every relationship we can have is one we should have. We have to pray to know the difference. To know the difference between what is ungodly and uncomfortable. There's a difference between things that are just ungodly and things that are simply uncomfortable. Jesus had to endure uncomfortability. Jesus experienced great discomfort, but he was never disobedient. Relationships can have discomfort, but they should never have disobedience. And so we need to be prayerful in understanding the nature of the complexity. We need to say no to those relationships that are harmful, that are ungodly, that are draining beyond the measure they should be. Boundaries can help navigate that, and they're good. Not all relationships are good and godly or have an eternal ripple. That's the measuring stick. If they're not godly, if they don't have an eternal ripple, we probably need to step out. But we need to pray to know the difference. So as we are present and we are patient, that being prayerful becomes a key factor because it gives us the requisite wisdom that we know needs to hear God and to hear his Holy Spirit in the midst of the complexity. Be present, be patient, and be prayerful. Jonathan had to simplify his relationships. That could not have been easy, not have been easy at all. He had to set boundaries with his dad that weren't self-serving. If they were self-serving, it would have been to position him to be king. He did it in a manner that wasn't disrespectful. He honored his father as ruling king. But he chose very intentionally to simplify the complexity of his relationships by priority. He was selfless. He chose to obey God above every other relationship. And he considered others better than himself. And in doing so, it honored God. And it led to decades of prosperity in the kingdom under David's leadership. And it even pointed to the example of Christ. It didn't stop the dysfunction of his dad. But it gave him a platform to navigate it. It didn't remove the hardship with his friend David. But it allowed him to honor and love his friend. And relationships, although hard, are the glue that help hold us together. And we are created for intimacy with God and healthy relationships with others. And we'll never be content until we experience both. Be present, be patient, and be prayerful. Jonathan was. Jesus was. The question is whether or not we will be. Not at a distance. Not prideful and not selfish. But considering others better than ourselves. Prayerfully. Wisely living. Because followers of Jesus pursue authentic God-honoring relationships. The first and foremost one being one with Jesus. And if you've not done that, that's the place to start. But then with the intimacy that Jesus provides with God in relationship to him, then we can have meaningful, healthy relationships with others. I know that there are times when when we wonder if all the complexity in navigating all that is worth it. We get to the point of just being tired. We don't have the strength to continue to go on. But, but But even when we feel overwhelmed, it's good to be reminded of how God works and moves in relationships. It matters. It matters. God uses them when we pursue them the way he wants, when we're present and patient and prayerful. Ultimately, those things aren't about us. But when we give, in God's math, we receive. And he's able to do things that we can't even begin to measure. And he does it in a number of ways. And so as you continue to process where to be present and patient and prayerful, I want to leave you with a video that helps remind us of the immeasurable ripple when we are faithful in simplifying and stewarding our relationships in the way God wants. 
So check this out. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad and he had no real direction in life ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. <laughs>